Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Sophia. Welcome back to Work in Progress. Today, I have one of my favorite creators on the show, and I managed to keep my cool, which honestly is a win. May Martin is on the show today. May is a hilarious, cool, award-winning British-Canadian comedian, actor, writer, stand-up, and producer who can currently be seen starring in her own show, Feel Good, on Netflix. It is a scripted, semi-autobiographical dramedy series that she created and co-wrote. The first season co-stars Lisa Kudrow, Charlotte Ritchie, and Sophie Thompson, and it earned a perfect 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, if that wasn't enough, won the Edinburgh TV Award for 2020 for Best Series. May is currently developing a new young adult drama with Netflix, and her most recent stand-up show, Dope, focused on addiction, has been turned into a stand-up special for Netflix. I asked May to come on Work in Progress today because her work is so open and honest and smart and funny. It's brilliantly observant, it makes me feel incredibly seen, and it raises awareness about so many things, from sexuality and identity to addiction and mental health, in an incredibly unique way that recognizes what so many people go through and also keeps audiences laughing all through the series. I cannot wait for you all to listen to this special interview because I know you will find May as wonderful, inspiring, and interesting as I do. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm really excited. And that things are better and less gray also in London than they were a few months ago. It's so weird that we talked at the beginning of lockdown being like, this is crazy. I guess it'll be a weird... How long do you think this is going to (laughs) last? Yeah, this will be a couple of weeks and and then here we are. I was thinking today there's kids who were 10 when this started and they're now 12. I mean, that's crazy. It's very surreal. Well, you seem like you've survived it. I love the podcast. 
<laughs> Thank you. It's I, keeping me, it is keeping me sane. I just listened to the Hillary Clinton one and it was just amazing. She's such a badass. Isn't and I can't, she so cool? Yeah. So funny. Yeah. And people don't know that. And she really, she's very, very special. And it was also very cute because we got on Zoom and she was in a hoodie. And I was like, Hillary Clinton, are you wearing a zip-up hooded sweatshirt? You're so oh my precious. God. <laughs> I don't know why that just really tickled me. I was like, you are just this really cute lady and I wish the world understood you more. I love that. Yeah. And then weirdly, I'm wearing a power suit right now. <laughs> I'm wearing a Hillary Clinton power suit. <laughs> We're each wearing pantsuits. Yeah, <laughs> matching pinstripe pantsuit. And also because we haven't gone outside and we're desperate to wear anything other than sweatpants. Oh my God. I don't even know how to talk to people. We had this very small get together last night. So we are, for everyone at home, we're recording this um, the Monday after the Oscars. And one of my very best friends was actually nominated for best original song, which was so cool. So obviously, you know me, I was like weeping at every moment of the show. I was like, oh my God, I can see them. Oh, this song is so emotional. Just like sobbing. And we got a couple people together now that everyone's, you know, finally vaccinated because California's rolled it out to everybody. And um, we had this like small little three of the sort of pods we've had this year all sat together to watch, you know, Ricard and Vanessa at the Oscars and... Wow. At one point, I looked over and my friend Cameron goes, you know, you can tell we've been in lockdown for a year. Everyone's talking at the same time. We're really? all just yelling <laughs> at each other and no one's <laughs> hearing anybody. But we've forgotten how to have a conversation. We're just like a pack of wolves. Everyone's forgotten, yeah, how to be a human being. Also, we all have mm -hmm. no news. So we're all just shouting about how great it is to see each other. But no one has anything to say, really, because <laughs> nothing's happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so nice. So, oh, that's so nice. And your friend got to actually go to the ceremony and everything? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was so cool. They did it, you know, sort of, because I know we've both been working a little bit this year, finally. They they did it essentially like a film set. And I, I was really, I think both to the point of what we're discussing, that nobody knows how to be a human anymore, and the simple change of rather than these people going and having to like project across a theater to, you know, this huge audience of people. Oh, the only people there were the people nominated and their guests, you know, their date or their mom or whoever. So the audience was so small and I felt like the speeches were all so intimate and kind and lovely. And oh. I was like, I really like this, the energy. It was like people were just talking to a little group. I don't That's know, really nice. Cool. There are some things that should stay the same after lockdown and yeah. I, it'd be interesting to see like all of those peripheral industries for those big events like all the fashion and the red carpet and everything it'd be really nice if that mm -hmm. all got toned down a little bit you know what I mean and if it was just a little more intimate and, and human you know I'm curious because when you say that like oh maybe the red carpet could tone down <laughs> something in me goes you're anxious too does it terrify you when you have to stand I, there? I can think of nothing worse and also I get so, it's so bad and maybe you feel this too with just still photography it's the worst and I, I don't mind watching myself act or do stand up because I guess because it's a video and I'm moving but something happens to my face mm -hmm. where it becomes a mask of tension yeah and also yeah. I just struggle with formal clothes like I had to get a suit made this year because I don't really go, like I'll not go to a friend's wedding because I am too stressed about what to wear I'll be like you know what I'll come to the 
drinks after. Um, so I had a suit made and it was just a really stressful experience. The guy was like showing me references of like Tilda Swinton and these outrageous kind of huge shoulder pads. I was like, I just want to look, I, I don't know, like young Leo. I don't know, but he, he couldn't handle it, the guy. So I don't know. He's like, well, you're both these cool looking women who have these, you know, spiky short haircuts. And you're like, um, but we're not the same at all. And also, you know, nothing about how I feel in my body or identify yeah. or anything. Please don't match me based on my my hair. What do you call it? It's not a pixie cut. It's like a what is a short haircut? I'd go with called? like a sort of stud. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, it's just like a I don't know short back we'll and just sides. Call it, we'll call it Young Leo also. Thank you. Yeah, Young Leo. I like good, that. Yeah. <laughs> I recently watched Titanic again, and I was like, wow. He, wow. It's uh, sometimes when I watch Romeo and Juliet, which is a couple of times yeah. a year, I actually mm-hmm. feel sad because he's so attractive. He's painful to look at. It's like I'll never be with him at that age that's over and I'll never be him and he's just it's so unattainable in every way Mm. (laughs) I think that's the really the mark of a movie star yeah especially for like a man like that is I'm like do I want to date you or be you I'm so confused definitely yeah I just watched for the first time Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid I'm trying Mm. to I'm trying to use lockdown and watch the classics and read the classics instead of just reality tv and yeah it was pretty amazing Paul Newman He's kind of the quintessential movie star. Yeah. Oh. And he makes great salad dressings, right? I was going to say his gluten-free pretzels are phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who, who <laughs> can say that? my quarantine thing. Uh, yeah. Gluten-free pretzels. That sounds good. They're really, really nice. This yeah. is not actually an episode presented by Newman's Own, but to the people there, if you're listening and you would like to send us snacks for the recording studio, we would be thrilled. That is such a not podcast-friendly snack, a pretzel. Just crunching into the microphone. I can see the guy. I could like see my editor, even though his camera's off right now on the Zoom, just shaking his head, being like, please stop plugging, making noises. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So we're talking about classics and that, Mm. that actually loops me around to where I'm supposed to start if I'm being a, a good student of my own show, which is in the beginning, because I'm curious about the things that you grew up on. Obviously you just watched Butch Cassidy, so that wasn't it, but- as a kid growing up in Canada, you know, to eventually become this phenomenal comedian and have this show that you know I'm deeply obsessed with. Thanks. You've also been very kind, may I just say, to know like that I was just fanboying your show at home. And then where you were like, yeah, sure, we can get on a Zoom and talk about work. And I was like, really? I was so nice though. But we ended up talking about everything. I know. Like, reincarnation we covered a lot of bases yeah yeah journey of souls what a book oh my god love it (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but Um, but you know like how does the may sitting you know in front of us today and and coming through speakers for the listeners like how do we track back what was going on who were you at you know eight or ten what were you into where in canada were you i want to i want to paint a picture sure sure so i was born in toronto and um I think I was a, I was a really extroverted kid and I'm now very introverted because I think I've I found the outlet. So I'm now really shy and and I don't mm. I'm I'd say I'm an introvert, but um as a kid I was just very loud and I watched a lot of Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee's Playhouse. I love that. And then my parents like my my dad's family was actors and uh his dad had been 
in Rocky Horror Picture Show playing the narrator in the stage show. And so when I was way too young, maybe I was five, I think, they showed me that movie. And I think that was a, a big deal in my small brain and soul seeing... Um, that's it. I rewatched it recently and it's so ahead of its time. I can't believe it in the 70s. Yeah, so that blew my mind. And then when Jim Carrey, <laughs> I was the right age for Ace Ventura and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think I spent a lot of time just doing impersonations of him and watching Catherine O'Hara and SNL. Yeah. Oh. Conan O'Brien was pretty big, I think. Yeah. For me, yeah, I remember watching Conan O'Brien and thinking, he was one of the only comedians at the time who was really making fun of himself instead of being aggressive or pointing out. He was mm. making himself this kind of grotesque creature and doing these impersonations of himself where he was like a worm. And uh, I really connected with that and brought that to school with me. And I think for a long time, you're just doing imitations of other people. I mean, in life as well. Do you find that? Did you have people who you were like, I'll make that my personality when you're a teenager? Oh, man. For whatever reason, I wasn't as into movies I think as I had been you know as a kid I was a weird kid like okay. my, Murphy Brown was my favorite tv show love Murphy Brown yeah love Murphy Brown mm. like all my friends were watching 90210 and I was like do you know there's this cool lady named Candace Bergen who plays a single mom <laughs> and a journalist on tv and she's hilarious she's, <laughs> she, yeah. that makes she sense like to me she's very powerful dream. yeah yeah and um I don't know I god I do remember though Romeo and Juliet just was like a, a hit to the system for me. Yes. And I, I was in love with Leo and I, and I did want to be Claire Danes. And that may have been a thing that influenced me, you know, wanting to be an actor. I love her, you know, style of being. She's just very honest and, and unabashedly smart. Yes. Um, all of which I felt like really worked for her. And similarly with like a Natalie Portman, you know, women who I just think disproved the typical especially like you know mid 90s early aughts horrible casting of women all the time they made they made really good choices didn't they which must have been hard at the time because yeah when I think back to the especially the comedies that we sort of grew up Mm -hmm. on it's kind of crazy none of them hold up (laughs) uh they're problem time they're all like so bad. They're so bad. It's every woman. The camera starts at her feet and goes up to her head, mm-hmm. um, and pauses in all the in all know, the wrong places, strategic yeah. and insulting areas. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of wild. But I I didn't realize it at the time. But looking back, I think that you know, seeing women close to my age who were navigating these roles in the way they did was really inspiring for me because I was always such a nerdy kid and kind of had my school was so small that really everyone just overlapped but there was like a sort of popular ish group yeah but and like those people were my friends but also kind of really awful to me yeah (laughs) so I felt like I was on the outside of something and and always nervous that I was doing something wrong which is sort of my operating procedure in general I'm like always worried I'm offending someone or in the wrong place or you know Anxiety is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think, I think probably a lot of the kids who were in the popular group, looking back, I'm like, they were probably terrified the whole time because mm. it, those groups are so cutthroat and you're mm. you're in it, but you're on shaky ground all the time. So yeah. it, it's so easy to go, oh, they must have had a great time in high school. But, you know, you never know. But that's a really interesting question. You know, who who are you trying on as a kid? 
And I wonder, was it any different for you in terms of that experience, finding yourself or, or maybe feeling like you knew yourself or you were seen because you have a brother? Like, I grew up an only child. So when you talk about impersonations, like I was reciting movie lines into my mirror because yeah. I had no one to play with. So <laughs> I'm like, did you, was it, did you feel like a sort of sense of camaraderie and, and um, foundation at home with your brother or like, did you guys hate each other as kids? I don't, I don't know that part of your story. We share a sense of humor, but we're really different. He's, he's incredibly mm. cerebral and uh, mm. he was, he skipped a lot of grades. He was just, he's, he's really, really clever. I mean, he has a dumb sense of humor as, as well, but um, <laughs> he definitely wasn't, he wasn't extroverted at all. So yeah, we, We've never really argued or fought. And I guess I started doing stand-up when I was 13. So a lot of my heroes were people in the comedy scene that I was just imitating or I was mm. very quickly having to figure out who I was because I had to say it on stage. And so I really was just trying on different things and different styles. And I'm just so lucky that YouTube wasn't a thing and there aren't many recordings of it because, oh my God, <laughs> there were some oh bad... Bad sets. Wait, but how does a 13-year-old start doing stand-up? Because you hear stand-up and you think like loud bar, adults telling dirty jokes. Like what, what is it? I, I don't understand. You didn't, you didn't have a driver's license, but you were doing comedy. How does that work? I know. Well, it sort of was that, loud bars and dirty jokes. But I, um, I started doing improv classes and they were run by Second City, that chain of comedy clubs in North America. So... Mm. Yeah, then I kind of just hung around all the time obsessively. And my parents gave me kind of a weirdly long lead. Like I was out almost every night after school. I was very stubborn, I think. And they knew I was really passionate about it. And so then I think just because of the novelty of me being um, a weird little kid with braces, I started getting put up on stage. And um, yeah, and it kind of spiraled. I think I got a lot of attention early on because I was so young and it was so weird. And, and people were too scared oh. to heckle me because they thought I might cry because I was, you know, <laughs> covered in acne and just being like, well, hello. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, then there was definitely a, a point around 18, 19 where I suddenly had to write real jokes and wow. wasn't getting away with just being <laughs> an oddball anymore. I can't imagine that level of, I don't know if it's confidence or self-assuredness or I don't know, maybe just like blind courage. Because I think about having to walk out on a stage and tell an audience jokes about my life. And I, it's like my body goes into shutdown mode. I feel like I'm going to faint. So so like maybe, I mean, maybe starting so young, you're just like, I was so young. I wasn't scared of anything. I I don't know. Maybe it was partly that. Yeah. Just in a kind of kamikaze attitude. and drugs maybe I got I got into drugs early so I think maybe that was part of it I just was bulldozing around yeah I find acting terrifying I think it's I get to sort of hide behind irony and acting for the first time and feel good I don't know how you do it it's absolutely terrifying being vulnerable like that and having other people involved (laughs) you know yeah it's so scary so scary my god it's actually really funny I was on a walk with my with my best friend and her husband the other day and he's he's a builder and he was like this is such a cool house and you know we were just like walking up all these little streets with cul-de-sacs in LA and I was like oh yeah I I remember walking by here with some friends a while back and um I was like just watching the work and I'm a weirdo and I like to walk through 
construction sites. So I'm like, what are they doing in here? And oh, look, they moved a wall. Like <laughs> people are like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, it's just open. Yeah. And this house was being built. And I, I, these, these guys were doing the most beautiful plaster work on the sides of it. And I was like, I'm going to come back by here and get their card one day. So a couple of weeks later, I'm on a hike with my friends and we walk by the same house and I see that the the sides are done. And I'm like, I wonder if the guys are in the back. And I walk in the back and there is a full group of people there. Clearly like the people who own this home or who now live in it. I don't know if they've moved in. Probably a contractor. And I just went, oh, hello. And turned around and walked <laughs> right back the path. And what I should have done when they came chasing after me, like, can we help you? You know, what's going on? Was say, oh, I was hoping to get a card from your plaster guy. But for whatever reason, <laughs> what came out is I said... We lost a dog. What? And I, I and I literally, I was burning with shame. Oh my God. I felt like I had been called to the principal's office and, <laughs> and that's where my brain went. And they go, oh no, what kind of dog? And I look over to my girlfriends who just are like shaking their heads, looking at the ground. And I go, well, it's, it's her friend's dog. They went that way and we came this, I don't really know. It's small and brown. I just saw the gate open and anyway, we're going to keep looking. And my friends were like, you are an actor. Yeah. What's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. And I said, but what I've learned is so many people think that if you're an actor, you must be a great liar. Like, oh, ask Sophia or May to plan your surprise party. I'm like, no, 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 I can't lie. I'm the worst liar on the planet. As an actor, you have to figure out how to tell the truth. Yeah. About someone else's story. Right. So it feels so intense because you want to get it right for them, even if they're a made up person. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I love that but you made man. such a bold choice, though, in the moment. It was so, so bold. And I, I was mean, like, this is why I would be bad at stand up. We lost a dog. I, <laughs> Everyone, no one will ever let me live it down. And I'm like, well. You could have I'm, triggered a chain of events where they're calling pet shelters for you. Oh, or my God. <laughs> I could have really leaned into it and yeah. been like, he's small and brown. Uh, a Maltese mix, and yeah. he only likes crackers. That's so interesting, though, know. that it's that maybe being a yeah being a bad liar makes you a better actor because you have to. Oh yeah, God. that's cool. I like that. Well, the moral of the story is don't ask me to help you plan a surprise party. Um, yeah, but yeah, I <laughs> I think about that a lot actually. The the thing that was really the most transformative for me was realizing working on something kind of early in my career that a scene would always unlock for me when I figured out what was under the dialogue. Because you could ask me how I'm doing and I could say, I'm good. Yeah. And you could ask me how I'm doing and I could say, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they mean such different things. Yeah. And you can yeah. see it on my face. And so I, I always started thinking about that analogy, like, well, what's under the I'm fine? Yeah. And, and then I think about what's under every line. And so when you get a script, are you breaking it down like that and making notes and stuff? Because it's weird having, I've only acted in things I've written. So I, I'm like, well, I know all the backstory, but I'd love the challenge of getting a script and, and mm. having to sort of do my own homework on it and imagine what the writer thought. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get it and start to doodle thoughts, but I find that I have to read through it at least two or three times 
before I can really begin to do homework on it. Right. Because my brain gets so excited about the imagery and the people. And in my head, I'm, I've also directed so weirdly. I'm always doing shot lists. And I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool. They should like start on the thing on the table and come up and then go into a two shot. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. I didn't get hired for this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but I also think that, you know, in the way that we all have that weird tendency to want to do anything but the thing we need to do. If yeah. it's like, well, you've got to go figure out who this person is. I'm like, I could really tell you a great idea that you could do with a crane for this <laughs> scene outside. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have to wrangle that, um, that, that impulse. Instinct. Yeah. And that's curious for me, you know, you talking about acting in what you've written, because we talked about this last year. I'm so scared to try to write something so personal. And I wonder about when that, I mean, I obviously want to talk about the show, but I wonder when that kicked in. And, you know, you said that around 18 or 19, you couldn't just be like this goofy, awkward kid yeah. doing stand up. You had to like, you said I had to write real jokes, which yeah. I, I want to know more about. Because I wonder when in your sort of stage life, in your, in your comedy life, did you decide to lean into that kind of vulnerability in your writing? Because you share such personal things. You know, you talk about identity and addiction and and family relationships and and you know you've said one of my favorite things that you know you find that the more personal the more universal oh definitely is absolutely yes but like where did that all start well I'm a I'm a real fan of all kinds of comedy and observational stuff and really absurd or abstract stuff but I, I just don't have that skill <laughs> I'm not that good at writing it so I think for years I was trying out different different styles and you know I was young and trying to be cool probably and then I guess yeah in my mid-20s I I started talking about more personal things and there's just such an immediate response from an audience and it just mm -hmm. felt like a totally different experience and people were way more engaged and I found it way more rewarding so then that kind of snowballed and I sort of kept going deeper and deeper but I think it also mm -hmm. takes time to like if it, you know I was writing about addiction and stuff and you need some distance from things to process them I think before you can be self-aware enough to comment on them I think I, I think I needed mm. a bit of space to to figure it all out and then um yeah now it feels like no holds barred <laughs> but is that the expression no holds barred what does that even mean no I don't actually know what bars are we talking about no holds barred I don't think I've ever to, said to, it I mean but... to be barred from something but why, what's the no holds part? I don't know. Now that I've said it, I feel like I've never heard it before and I've made it up. But <laughs> That's like when I had to spell the word prescriptive recently and I was like, prescriptive, prescriptive, prescription? Pre R Where does RX come from for a prescription? I went down such a hole. That's so funny. No holds part. Okay, no, wait, I'm actually going to look it up. Yes. Yeah. My computer's in front of me and I can. No. No holds, holds. bars etymology. Let's see. Bar I bet it'll be like in 1700, William the Conqueror. No. Barred. The idiom no holds barred comes from the sport of wrestling, in which various holds are employed to pin one's opponent. Bouts in which the wrestlers did not follow the rules of the regulated sport of wrestling were advertised as no holds barred. Really? The earliest print reference found in Manitoba in 1892. That's amazing. But so what does it mean now? Um, <laughs> oh, free of restrictions. Free of restrictions. Yeah, yeah. Or hampering yeah. conventions at a no-holds-barred contest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. We learned something. I really feel like I Does learned something. Does everyone at home feel smarter? Yeah. 
Do you remember, because in asking you about sort of the, the transition from teenage comedy to more introspective, vulnerable comedy in your 20s, I don't know why, but I'm like, do you remember any of the jokes you told as a teenager? And then do you remember <laughs> what one of the first really open ones was as you got older? Like, are there moments you could share with us that you that you have those snippets of memory? I think so. Yes. I, I, I used to, in my teens, do a lot of musical comedy and characters and things. So I would do, like I did a song about, one time I was living in this awful apartment, really grungy apartment, and on the roof outside my window, Don Cheadle was filming a movie. This is when I was a teenager. And um, I just stood there the whole day watching him. So I wrote a song about about wanting to, you know, have sex with Don Cheadle, basically. And, and the, <laughs> so that was the kind of thing I was doing. And then I think maybe I remember having a kind of breakthrough moment where I, I talked about... Um, this is in my mid-20s, about obsessively washing my face. Like I went through a phase of kind of 10 times a day washing my face. And then I finally said to my mom, you know, I do this thing I, and I, I don't know why I do it, but it's kind of compulsive. I, I keep washing my face. And my mom goes, well, it's because your face is oily and people can see the oil and they think you're a greasy girl. <laughs> and so that was the joke. <laughs> I, it doesn't, when I say it without an audience, it just sounds like a sad confession, but it was funny <laughs> because it was like, oh, that's where that neurosis comes from. You know? Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I Great. just internalized the phrase greasy girl. So I remember audiences responding to that and it felt good to I don't wash my face anymore obsessively. I got over it, but that's good. At the time, it felt like a, quite confessional because it was a weird, a weird thing. And then I'm curious about the, you know, the identity bits because you've been so forthcoming about being bisexual and being, you know, feeling more non-binary than anything else, and and those are big coming outs for people in their personal lives. Yeah. And and you've talked so much about it to the world and really opened that dialogue, I think, for so many other people. Oh, that's nice. I, I yeah, really do. Oh, that's really nice. It, it's weird because I think when I started doing comedy, the first thing that was ever written about me, like a review of my comedy, said it, it said introducing gay May. That was the title. But I hadn't talked about my sexuality and, and I didn't even know who I was. I was 16 and... It was like, oh, right. Oh, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm gay May. But it took me a while because everybody else was commenting on it. So I felt like I had to take mm. control of it and clarify. So yeah, I've always been, been pretty open about it. You were like, I see what you see, but I'd also like to have sex with Don Cheadle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Rampantly, ferociously. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was always clear about that. But then it's, it's an evolving, it's an evolving thing. I've, I've always been been by but then yeah recently feeling like I have the language now to express how I feel about gender and stuff I, I uh that's a relatively new thing feeling mm. I've, I've always felt like I've had experienced gender dysphoria and things like that and I'm often referred to as like a female comedian or a lesbian comedian which just isn't how I feel and it makes me feel yeah dysphoric I guess in a way mm. so I felt like recently I I should make a a statement I guess about it. I did a thing on Instagram, but it's, there's not a lot of space in the public conversation for a kind of uncertainty and an mm. ambiguity. And, and I'm not certain about anything. And so, yeah, maybe that's good to express sometimes too. Cause I think a lot of people feel that way. Can you explain a little more 
about that for for some people who may not know who are listening at home? What does the dysphoria part mean? And then, oh and then sure, in terms of this sort of exploration and uncertainty you're talking about, I'd, I'd love to know where that yeah, lies. Sure. If you feel okay about that, yeah. Uh, so your gender identity is different to your your sexuality. It's mm-hmm. not who you're attracted to. It's how you feel in in your body, and um, often the term. And also, I get things wrong. So. And it's always scary weighing into these conversations because you're mm. like, am I going to say, am I going to use the right language or whatever? But I, th- I think if you are transgender or non-binary, then often your biological sex doesn't match how you feel mm-hmm. in yourself or there's some discrepancy between those two things. And I've sort of always felt that and, and felt not like a girl, but not like a boy, which Did I guess... Did that start young or was, or was yeah. that... Mm. I was like in a suede waistcoat doing a Clint Eastwood dialogue, you know. Yeah, I definitely always felt always felt that way. That was your mirror acting in your childhood. You were like, hey, kid. Yeah, I was like, dirty Harry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, It's funny. It never it was never really a a thing. My family was so open. So it was only really Mm. when I started doing comedy and people started putting labels on me or that mm. it it started to feel not right also I moved to England from Canada and I, I think England's a little bit behind and like I gay marriage was legal when I was a teenager in Canada and it just mm-hmm. felt a lot more a lot more integrated and and chill yeah and then so I guess in the past couple of years I've been learning more about non-binary I- identity and the very rich history of recognizing multiple genders and and that it's kind of a recent colonial thing to have such a binary view of gender, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize. And there's all kinds of interesting political stuff around that that I had no idea about. And yeah, so I guess just recently I've been thinking if I was growing up now, I probably would have always said that. And people are getting more relaxed about using neutral pronouns or that kind of thing. So it's just something I'm exploring. And I think writing feel good sort of prompted that. That's really cool. I guess so. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> it's so weird. It's because it, it's such a small part of who I am, mm-hmm. you know, but then it gets put to the forefront. And um, yeah, so on the one hand, it's really nice. And I, I, I had such amazing feedback from doing that Instagram post, but then mm-hmm. also, you know, you don't want it to become the defining thing about right. about you. Right. Yeah. I guess what I think is really cool is the the, the reaction to when someone says, oh, you're this, and mm. it doesn't make you feel good. Yeah. And then you can say, no, actually, I'm going to tell you what I believe for me. Yeah. And you can, you can put it out there. And then to your point, you can move on and just get back to work. I think it does two very cool things where it gives other people permission to do the same, which is such a huge gift that we can all give each other in community. And also... When you just get back to it, to the rest of it, everyone yeah. is like, oh, right. Oh, so right. It's not like a big deal. We don't need to keep talking about this. Oh, it's, it's kind of to your point um, how it can feel so strange to see how different places can be so rigid about the same ideas or laws. Like you just referenced gay marriage being legal in Canada. And to me, yeah. I always was like, but why does Canada just let people be who they are and also have health care? And why don't we, why is this up for debate? And like, why do we call it gay marriage? It's just marriage. I didn't like 
you know, yeah. you've seen that that adage, like I didn't gay park my car. I just yeah, parked exactly. the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it, that the more we can just be ourselves, but also by being ourselves, remind people that every single human has a right to be exactly who they are. Totally. Then maybe it can feel a little less like it's a big deal in the first place. Yes. And I, I made the mistake of um, reading the comments on some article about uh. me saying I'm non-binary and it, it's hell. But a lot of the responses were like, uh, who cares? This is so boring. Who cares? And mm. I, I kind of agree, but the annoying thing is people do care. And, and when I'm out in the world almost daily, my gender is a thing that stresses people out. Like I, <laughs> like I get in toilets, I get women challenging me if I'm in the right toilet I get people in clothing stores getting stressed out about which section I should shop in like it, it does happen all the time so it would be great if it wasn't a thing but it, it kind of still is so yeah. and then also with with bisexuality I feel like I feel like that's always an important flag for me to wave just because it's so uh invisible because mm. if you're in a heterosexual relationship people just assume you're straight and we kind of operate on the default that everyone's straight. And then if they're not, they have to tell you, which is, you know what I mean? We make a lot yeah. of assumptions. And then if you're in a same sex relationship, it's assumed that you're gay. And then I think if you have short hair like me, there's a lot of assumptions. So yeah, mm. that feels like a cool thing to be like, I promise tons of people are, are bi. It's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to your point, it's so interesting to me to see how we've sort of been reduced to these binaries because it isn't the way we evolved at all. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. you, when you study history and you're like, oh, the whole Roman army was like gay lovers. Cool. Totally. All right. You know, the, the, all these things where people say, no, it's just a, you know, why, why are all these kids today like this? I remember incredible author uh, who came on the podcast in the, in the first season, Glennon Doyle, her yeah. grandmother, because Glennon was famously this like big writer in the Christian space and, you know, married to a man and had all these kids and, and then found out her husband had cheated on her forever and ended her marriage and fell in love with a woman very famously. <laughs> and Glennon's grandma was like, well, I just want to know, you know, why is everyone so gay today? And she was yeah. like, grandma, everyone's always been so gay. They're now yeah. they're just free. Yeah, exactly. And I love, I love that because, yeah, science and history tells us there that there have always been so many versions of expressions of humanity and love and sexuality and identity because there are so many humans, and it's like, yeah. hey, can't we just be all these cool humans? Yeah, I I didn't realize. Um, I, I mean, growing up, you just don't learn that 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 strict gender binary is a relatively recent thing and a western thing and and that mm -hmm. all of these indigenous cultures not only recognized but really celebrated you know third or fourth genders you know they mm -hmm. were kind of so that that's cool to know well and when you really get into it because this is the shit i love is the recent you know westernized colonial expression of uh this rigidity of a binary really is just a byproduct of agriculture and capitalism because Absolutely. then you were trading your daughters for cattle and land. I mean, people were doing, it was like, these were business mergers, not actual marriages, but it was like, yeah. well, we're going to marry this girl to that guy. And then we'll have all this property and we'll get seven cows. And that, like, it was literally just a financial thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it, it was about ownership and payment. Not really what anybody wanted to be doing. Totally. And also I think it's so 
important and exciting to realize that it's not just kind of queer people or trans people that benefit from sort of breaking down this rigid binary it's everyone because what everyone. an insane amount of pressure and and weirdness goes into mm -hmm. all of that culture yeah I saw this tweet this week somebody was like a survey says you know girls are nervous about out earning their boyfriends and I mean and I saw the woman who retweeted it who was like literally none of us are saying this pay us more money <laughs> Totally. And also most of my friends are straight male comics, my best friends. And I just think about men's mental health and yeah. and male suicide and that kind of thing. And so much of that is to do with this pressure to be a certain way, you know, it, it, like in my head, it, I get a visual almost of like all of us being in a crock pot together. And I'm like, maybe we could just take the lid off and like party. <laughs> yeah, I have a visual of us all in a cult in the desert, just <laughs> naked and uh yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like, no, it's, but it, but my cult is a freedom cult, guys. Oh, yeah. My cult's a good cult. Right. I'm, I'm a benevolent cult leader. Got it. But I always think about the 60s and 70s and how it must have felt more free. But I think that maybe is a false, like, I'm always like, I wish I was there in the 60s, but it was probably pretty bad, right? Yeah. Like, there was a brief moment, I think, of sort of flower power and mm. hippie culture, but maybe, you know, anytime you go backwards, it, I'm sure a lot of other stuff was worse. Yeah, I think there's moments in so many eras I would love to relive. And I'm glad for the ever-increasing transparency of this one. Yeah, um, me too. we got to stay positive. I, yeah, we do. And and I, I will say, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to this year is that season two of your show is coming out. Oh, because <laughs> you know that I've been like, wait, I've just been waiting I've been waiting. I'm like, everyone's going to get on Netflix. And I'm like, is it hearing it? And I'm like, she would have posted about it on Instagram. Why am I looking? Oh, um, thanks. But, but Thank truly, you so Feel Good is such an amazing show. And not to be like so emo and in my feelings, but I am pretty sure I've already admitted this to you. So I feel that I need to admit <laughs> it to the audience. But I was watching the show and I, I just binged it. And I mean, I also talked about this on Instagram. So if you're listening and you haven't seen this show, I don't know why you haven't listened to me and my recommendations before, but please get it together. Um, <laughs> I, I said to you, I was like, I, I just felt so seen. Oh, I was like, this so show nice. makes me feel seen. Thank you. Yeah. I, I hope it's mm. kind of broadly accessible and just about connection and, and people. And, um, because someone was, I was doing an interview about it recently and they were like, why did you choose to write about these topical issues? And I was like, I, I really didn't. I like gender, I guess, or sexuality. But to me, it's about so much more than that. It's just about people and friendship and mm -hmm. mothers and mm -hmm. so many things. Well, and that was it for me. It's like, obviously, you know, the show is based on your story. And obviously then, you know, as I'm sure everyone at home knows, you take certain things and you dramatize them or you change the outcome of of a moment because it's better for the narrative of the show. So I, I don't mean to, you know, make it sound as though this is a documentary about your life, but it is this brutally honest and beautifully funny and poignant dark comedy that just made me laugh my ass off. And what you are exploring in in the character of May, you know, who who you said like Earlier, you referenced that there's a, a journey to self-awareness about what you go through. You know, yeah. you're saying that you had to get a little on the other side of addiction to be able to then do comedy about it. Right. And, uh, and you've talked about how the character of May 
as you watch her on the show, is not in a place where she is self-aware enough to have been able to write the character of May. <laughs> yeah, and also to write all the dissenting voices of the other characters, right? Because <laughs> right. you have to think, what would it be like to be my parent and how stressful would that be? And then, you know, so I, yeah. Yeah, but I I loved that in the package, you know, when, as you say, people are like, why'd you write about these heavy things? You're like, this is just life. In, in the it's package of this life is really just an exploration of like, I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. Am I going to feel that way? Also, anxiety is intense. Maybe I'm just voicing what I talk about in therapy, but these are the things yeah. that made me feel so seen. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yes, like the, 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 the specificity, the, the personal, you know, is the framework, but like, these are big questions that I think so many people are struggling with all while trying to figure out, you know, how to be our parents' children and how to be in love and be a partner to someone. And it's, it's just so beautiful. Thanks. That's so nice. And we wrote season two and filmed it all during lockdown. So I wonder, I wonder how that's informed it kind of, I, I think. Did you reference it at all? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I, I think everyone needs some escapism. Got it. Um, yeah, but I, I'm sure that, that thematically there's stuff in there about kind of isolation and connection and loneliness and, and mm. you know, existential doom about the world. <laughs> so I think that's all in there. This this constant kind of battle that I think we all feel between pessimism and, and optimism mm. when you read the news mm. and, and trying to stay super optimistic, which we mm. have to and should. But right. when there's this huge weight of bad news, you know, this year... So I think that's all in there. And then, yeah, it's super personal again. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, I hope people like it. But season one, so that people can catch up or just relive watching it because they listened to me and watched it last March. What are the what are some of the stories you could tell us about it? Because I, there were moments where I was like, I need to know what the behind the scenes of this scene was because it feels so funny to me. Like when you are locked in that closet in George's classroom with the origami birds, I was howling, howling, yeah. laughing. And I just feel like there are some really good stories that you might be able to share with us about it. From behind the scenes of, mm -hmm. of like season if, if one If there was just two. something that was ridiculous. I mean, so I just spent the whole time laughing so much. Also, like I said, like having never acted and never had to sort of look into someone's eyes up close. I, I mean, I just laughed the whole time. I, I found it hilarious. And I had, you know, Lisa Kudrow's in it, who's such a hero and everything she does makes me laugh. And I was so desperate to get her to laugh because I watch Friends bloopers to cheer myself up. And her laugh is iconic, right? She has this kind of cackle. Um, <laughs> so luckily I did manage to do that and we laughed a lot. And also Charlotte, who plays George, is a, a friend of mine and mm. So that was very, very funny all the time, really, to be kind of dry humping her on a on a bed. <laughs> there was a there was a lot of laughter. Yeah. She was she she would improvise things and say them in my ear and then I'd get in trouble for laughing, but they couldn't hear what she was saying They're to like, me. She was, did it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you laugh a lot? There's always a point where ever no one else is laughing and the crew's angry at you and you're sweating. Well, I'm pretty good at keeping it together. And then I'll get like the church giggles. Yeah. And it's like I'm <laughs> yeah. demonically possessed. I'm yeah. convulsing and I can't 
stop laughing. Sometimes it's happened to me a few times at work where I've I've gotten it so bad that I've I've wound up crying in just full tears of laughter. And then it, because I'm trying to stop myself from laughing, I get the hiccups and I'm just like, this oh is everything's God. over. I just, they just put me out to pasture. Like we have to be done. That's uh, next level. It's so embarrassing, but also f- so fun when you have a moment it's like the that best with your feeling. crew. Yeah. Well, that, that feeling of not being allowed to laugh and being <laughs> convulsing is the best feeling. I, I have a problem where my, anytime I have to kiss anyone, my ears go bright red, not in real life, but I mean, scarlet, like a, like a blood red. I can't explain. Like glowing and like heat is coming off. Like strawberries on the then. side of your head. Exactly like strawberries on the side of my head. And it comes. So it started early on, and then people were like coating makeup on my ears, like so much makeup. And then there's someone coming in with a paintbrush between takes and like painting my ears oh my with God. this cold, oh this God. cold foundation, and uh, it's so just a really. Awful kills the mood you know yeah yeah well there's also nothing that's less sexy than having to shoot a sex scene yeah because oh. there's people everywhere and the yeah. camera's right next to your face and you're and you're sitting there going wait you need me to move my nose wait hold on so if my nose is against your nose wait an inch yeah. to, the, to the left no oh oh you're up okay and everyone's always like wow what's that like and you're like yeah terrible terribly exactly awkward. And then also being an exact producer on it, I, I'm like thinking about the angles. I'm, I've got so yeah. much else that's going on. Well, and you wrote the whole show. I literally cannot fathom how <laughs> you did that. I co-wrote it with my my friend Joe Hampson, who's, yeah, we, we created it together. And luckily he's on set the whole time mm. by the camera. So I have a, a real anchor emotionally as well. He, a lot of hugs. And it's so nice writing with someone who you're trying to make laugh. It really makes you funnier because uh, you're just trying to impress each other all the time, you know. Yeah, I'd I'd imagine that writing a comedy alone would be rather sad. How could you do it? I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I have to have him sitting across a table for me, and then I we email each other the scenes that we're working on, and mm. if he doesn't laugh out loud, I'm humiliated. You just toss your whole laptop in the garbage. You're like, well, I'm fired. <laughs> yeah, I'm fired myself. Yeah. And then working with Charlotte, because she's a friend, it was so fun in season two, knowing her a lot better than I did for season one, to write kind of in her voice and mm. and to think about ways to infuse her essence into that character and, and give her stuff that would really fly, you know? Mm. It, was, it was really fun. That is always my favorite, getting into the rhythm on a show where the writers really do understand the way you speak. I was I was so lucky on the one I just worked on, you know, to to be also on the on the back end as a producer to be able to talk to the writer and just say like this sentence feels awkward in my mouth. I don't yes. I don't shape words like this. Can I say it this way? You know, can I do this and and as as they hear you speak and you feel heard and and you find this character's voice together, it's such a cool exercise and that makes I, such a difference and it's such mm. a hard thing to explain like these words just don't feel right in my mouth yeah. but it's so valid and I think all writers should listen to actors when they say that because it's only going to make it more natural yeah when they do does writing for so many people because you know you mentioned you're you're writing for Charlotte and oh my god you're writing for Lisa Kudrow I like I, I must say I'm very proud of myself you were talking about her and I was like mm-hmm, yeah oh, wow that's great but like, I remember when she first came on the screen and I was like, she got Lisa fucking Kudrow to play her mom. Yeah. She's such a legend. I'd like yeah. every single thing that woman's ever done. I just think is so brilliant. Me too. Um, 
I just started watching Clock Watchers from the 90s, which is... What? Lisa, it's, have you seen it? It's I, Lisa no, Kudrow. No, I'm literally writing it down. Listen to this cast. Lisa Kudrow, Parker Posey, and um, Tony Collette. And they, they play temps, temps in an office. And uh, they're all just such big personalities and so funny. It's great. Yeah, writing for her was amazing. And we actually weirdly wrote with her in mind, but I swear it never in a million years, even thinking that we would send her the scripts, we just found it easier to write with someone in mind. So we'd be like, oh, you know, like Lisa Kudrow would say it this mm. way. And then we sent her the scripts just on a whim. Yeah, and she, she got back in touch right away. It was amazing, wow. mind-blowing. Oh, oh, it's so cool. Do, do you think that being able to write for so many people at once makes it a little easier? Does it d does some of the pressure come off because you're doing it with with like a collective of characters in mind? Yeah, maybe. I think it's definitely helpful therapeutically to have to imagine other people's viewpoints. You know, because stand up stand up is so solipsistic. It's just one unchallenged narrator <laughs> talking. Mm -hmm. It's so one sided and and so therapeutically it was really interesting and helpful to to think about other characters and knowing that some of what you're sharing is is your personal story does that then mean that you have more deeply personal interactions with viewers like do you just get so many instagram dms about people's reactions to the show yeah i really do and and really personal stuff and and i love it and i try to respond but i, I really like that people have connected in that in that mm. really personal way but it's um some of the stuff in the show is stuff that I haven't even said to my closest friends out loud. So mm. it's a really strange exercise to then share it. But then it's out there. And yeah, you feel, you definitely feel heard and, and seen. And it's really nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I guess I wonder too about, about that sometimes because as a sensitive person, as, as an empathetic person, you're on the receiving end of so much. And people do share sometimes really, really personal things. H how do you make sure that you have tenderness for those shares, but also a little bit of a barrier, like a like a boundary for yourself to just yeah. to make sure you're you're conserving a little of your own energy for you? Yeah, you must get that too with the podcast and talking about mental health and stuff all the time with people. Really, they then really open up to you and. Mm -hmm. And for me, doing stand-up, I'm pretty easy to find. So people, people come and, you know, they wait after and they, they want to talk about addiction. Some of them are currently in the throes of addiction or um, going through big, hard stuff. I mean, I, I always sort of direct people to healthcare professionals. You know, I'm always mm -hmm. like, I, I'm, I'm not qualified, but I, I try and listen and empathize. But yeah, I end up telling a lot of people... <laughs> to get to talk to a therapist, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause I, I have to, you know, everyone should. I think, <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's yeah. hard though. I guess it's. Well, I think about this, you know, this worldwide obsession with fitness. Everyone's yeah. like, do this for your body, do this for your longevity. This will help you age well. And I'm like, are we not going to talk about that? Our brains need the gym also. Yeah. That's such a good point. Like yeah. that's how I think about therapy. I'm like, it's, it's brain gym. Yeah, it is like going and getting going through a car wash with your brain. If yeah. it's, I mean, when it's good, sometimes it's just like stirring up a muddy pond. <laughs> well, but I think about therapy also. Um, follow me here; it's going to sound weird when I say it, but it's a little bit like dating. Mm. Not everyone is your person. It can take a minute to find the right person who doesn't just 
stir you up? Like who actually helps you sift through some things and definitely you know, get it organized up in up in here? I only recently was like, I should get a therapist. And I, I went to a couple before I found someone I really liked. And one of the first ones was give, she Googled me and, and had watched a lot of my stand up. And then she was giving me notes. Like oh. I, she was like, I really preferred your older stuff. Oh and, no. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cringy. <laughs> it's not good. And oh she, no. Yeah. She had a lot of feedback on the, um, on the actual content of my standup and was kind of like, oh, maybe you'll write about me. This is all in the first session. Like, oh no, my God. I know. That makes me think about, I just, <laughs> I just watched <laughs> Mike Birbiglia's new special and he's talking about going to the urologist and like the doctor is obviously, it's an awkward thing as yeah. a man. And he, um, he says something like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm a comedian because the guy's like asking him what he does. And he goes, well, how come you're not funny now? Oh, my God. And he like looked at the doctor and he was like, well, the thing I couldn't say to him was, so this interaction, I'm going to go tell this story in a room yeah. full of people and you will be the joke. Yeah. Later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, so good. Yeah. You are the punchline. You yeah. are the joke next weekend. It That's was just really so funny. funny. Yeah. Does this kind of feel like this moment, you know, taking your comedy to this place, making the show, obviously, you know, getting a season, getting a thing made is so next to impossible. Yeah. And so you made it and then now you're making a second season. Does this kind of feel phenomenal? Is there a weight to it? Is it both? Are, are you like living the dream? It feels amazing it's just mm. so surreal that it's all happened during the pandemics the show came out in march and yeah. i really have barely left my apartment so i i have a sense online that that people liked it but i haven't felt that out in the world because i haven't been mm. out in the world and so that that's weird and um maybe it's good that it happened that way because it you know had not nothing to distract me when i was writing the second season and right yeah, so it does feel really exciting. And it's exciting knowing we always knew we wanted to do just two seasons and, and have it be a contained love story like that. So it's exciting knowing I've kind of done the best I can with that and now I can do something else. And You and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you just give us our favorite thing and then after two seasons, you take it away. <laughs> That's the British way. It's, God, yeah, I it's know. so ice cold. <laughs> It's so ice cold and I don't think it's always the best way, but but it's just so different. Like with the British office, that was two seasons and a Christmas special. But then wow. the, the American office is incredible as well. And that, mm -hmm. you know, went on and on. But you're you're not just, you know, ripping our joy away from us. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you also wrote a book called yeah. Can Everyone Please Calm Down? A Guide to 21st Century Sexuality. Um, it was actually published in May of 2019, so pre-pandemic, but I know, you know, you were doing so much talking about it this year. What is the difference between the the process as a writer? Because you work in all these verticals. You write stand-up and you write TV and you wrote this book. Is is there a difference to the process or does it all kind of feel the same? Um, it feels the same kind of emotionally and in my brain, but the processes are, are totally different. Yeah. Mm. I stand up. I, I improvise a lot in the beginning and I approach it. I have a theme that I know I want to explore and I'll, I'll sometimes research it like an essay and then go mm. and, and improvise it. And then the book was, I was taking a, 
a radio series I'd done and kind of adapting it into a book. So that, that was cool. I did it. I never went to high school, so I didn't have all of these skills, these research skills. So I really had to learn fast and I'd, I'd only really written tweets, <laughs> to, you know, so it was, that was a real learning curve, but I liked it a lot. I'd like to write another book. What was the learning curve? What are, what are the things that you learned that helped you be a you know, properly productive writer? Well, because I wrote the show with Joe and I write stand-up kind of on stage with that immediate feedback, I guess it was just the self-discipline of of writing with no feedback and no reward, (laughs) you know, with just a long-term kind of hypothetical reward. So yeah, Mm. it was just the self-discipline and and treating it like a nine to five. But I want to do so many weird things. I'd love to write like a poetry book i don't know Mm. you know wouldn't yeah also like what about a murder mystery oh stop it's my dream i love a murder mystery Uh, you you are the one who gave me lamont oh yes so i have recommended that show to so many people everyone listening catch up it's a french murder mystery on netflix it's unbelievable yeah I've trolled through Ugh. all of the French murder mysteries on Netflix. Yeah. A lot of the Scandinavian ones. I love it. I yeah. really do too. Well, we should do a murder mystery. I used to go to these dinner theater shows when I was a kid. Did you, did you ever do those like immersive theater things? So yes. I'd go with my dad and then the actors are kind of among you and someone yes. would get murdered. And I thought that would be, I could do that happily it until would be retirement. So it's like being in a game of Clue. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 I really love that. Okay, so we know you unwind watching murder mysteries. What else, as a director, writer, and producer of television, do you like to watch? Oh, I got asked this the other day, and it was so embarrassing saying um, Married at First Sight and these reality shows. Do you know Married at First Sight? I've heard of it. Okay, so they meet on their wedding day, and then they go on their honeymoon, and they have to see if they if it works and they've been paired by experts and it's just I mean brings out the Does abs- it ever work? Uh yeah, it did. The recent season that I watched and there's every season is like 700 episodes. There's so long, but um <laughs> there was a couple that they now have kids and I got really invested in their story. I also watch a lot of Survivor. I the old seasons of Survivor. I love Jeff Probst. But yeah, like I'm trying to watch the classics now so I'm I'm rewatching a lot of old The Graduate and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and those kinds of things. Mm. I always tell myself I'm going to do that. I'm like, I'm going to put myself through film school. Yeah. And then the next year on New Year's, I'm like, this is the year that I'm going to put myself through film school. I know. Well, that a friend of mine is doing watching every Best Picture winner uh, and for the past 50 years or something. I think that's a good way to do it. That's a really good idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Okay. Yeah. I can put that on the list. Yeah. What have you been watching? Ugh. What have I been watching? Um, it's it's so hard. All the days kind of bleed into one and you're like, it, I know I've watched really stuff. Do. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, I watched, um, speaking of French shows, I watched Lupin, which I thought was amazing. Yes. Amazing. I just, God, I loved that so much. I watched Sharp Objects with Amy Adams. Obsessed. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, I love a a sinister mother character. And- oh my God, me too. I read that book in a day. I loved it so much. It, that's my kind of darkness. Yeah, me too. I was just like, go all the way in there. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and I immediately, I emailed like every person on my team and said, does anyone have the rights to this book? And they were like, we're so sorry, Amy Adams bought it. And I was like, well, 
if anybody's going to get it, it should be her because she's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, God, I loved that. And then there's actually, speaking of the TV that HBO is doing really well, I mean, this was last year, but I May Destroy You, I thought was yeah. so incredible. I May Destroy and You. And now I'm watching Made for Love. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh my God. It's really funny and dark and great. Oh, great. Uh, Search Party. Yeah. I watched, I binged yes. Search Party. I think Search Party is one of the best shows of the past 10 years. Brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant it's so funny john early is so funny god yeah. he's so good and then oh did speaking of murder mysteries did you see vera no english murder mystery vera you're welcome oh my god everyone says it's fabulous and murder on middle beach no how have i not heard of oh, this yeah. okay and then oh another french show i don't believe it re- revolves around a murder but les bureaux they said it's like um, like French Homeland is supposed to be great. Oh, and I'm watching um, Call My Agent, which is hilarious. I really, I really just like the French, I guess. I think I like the French. And they're yeah. making a British version of that, which oh is going to be really good, I think. Yeah. That's great. You should be on that. I'd love to. I just auditioned for I mean, Star Wars. Sophia, I don't audition for, I don't act, right? I only play myself. But I would, I would like to, I think. But I just auditioned for some Star Wars thing and I cannot tell you how bad my self-tape was but it sort of made me laugh because I I just couldn't say the space dialogue you know (laughs) you're like this feels really weird yeah but those are weird words that feel weird exactly but I'm learning I'm learning (laughs) yeah I've definitely every so often through my career I've I've read scripts and been like god I just love this and then I'm like I I can't right I can't do that that's not for me that's really just for someone else, and that's okay. There are some actors that really sell that, you know, they're playing a, a biologist or something, and it just feels really natural yeah. coming in. There's other actors who you just see their eyes kind of quivering with fear as they say the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also, every every so often, I'm like, not that I don't think she's beautiful, but does the supermodel have to play the biologist? Yeah. Can we get, like, a Neil deGrasse Tyson playing a scientist, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see him in a movie. I'd love to see him in a movie. God, I think he's so cool. Yeah, he really is. I, I've been reading a lot about sort of quantum physics and, I mean, really basic stuff that I can get my my foot in the door and try and understand it. But I was just reading about um this alternate world theory, multiple universes, that every time we make a choice, another universe is created. Wow. I don't know, I'm loving it. Well, you should, if you're into that, world right now have you read uh, any carlo ravelli no oh my god his he wrote this book called the order of time and it broke my brain i was like time is what is time time is not real time is an illusion time, it, yeah. it really it sent me into a tailspin but like in a very cool way the order of and time he's written, yeah the order of time and then he has a uh, another book called seven brief lessons on physics and another book called reality is not what it seems the journey to quantum gravity. Yes. So we have a lot of homework yeah. to do, you and I. We have shows to watch and movies to watch and books to read. Yeah. And it, it's really far ranging. It's physics. It's murder. This is, yeah, but this is how I, this is how I, I, I identify my people yeah. is I'm like, do you like murder shows? Yeah. Do you want to talk about space? Where do you think humanity belongs? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like not great at small talk. I'm, I can be hard to take to a party. Because I'm just like, who here is in therapy? Anyone dealing with their internalized trauma? Are you feeling healthy? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's okay. Especially in England. In England, that is so, 
alien to people. I feel like in America, there's a little bit more of a sort of, if you ask someone how they are, you expect an honest answer. A real answer. Yeah, but England, yeah. they're freaked out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I just want to like get in there and talk to people about their feelings. Me too. If someone cries, <laughs> I've had a wonderful night. Love yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, we really connected. That was honest. Yeah. How do you think the feelings will be? I'm like, will there be tears? Will there be laughter when, when you get back out on the road? Because you're, you're about to go back on a stand-up tour. Yeah, I'm supposed to go in, in, yeah, in September. But, um, it, that feels so far away right now. And it's so weird planning things because you just never know these days. But I think it'll be yeah. kind of euphoric. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm starting to do shows. Things are opening up this month and I can't wait to see wow. people. Yeah. So wait, you, you, could, you could have a show as early as this month. Yeah, I've got a few at the end of May. Yeah, so, wow. so really soon. And I don't know what, I mean, I look haunted. I'm pale. I've got very little to say for myself, but I think everyone will be pretty generous with their laughs because they'll just be excited yeah. to be around people. Yeah. I hope. This would be a good time for anyone to start stand-up if you've been thinking of trying. You think? I definitely think. I think people are going to be really warm. <laughs> It's what, the audience members. Is there advice you'd give to someone who who wanted to try stand-up or, or maybe wanted to try, you know, writing scripts? Yeah. My stand-up advice is always the same. It's just that you can't get around stage time. I think you just have to do it. You have to right. hang out at comedy clubs and get and watch a lot of comedy and get the rhythms of it in your head and then and then you just have to accept that you're gonna be awful for a while. And get that time out of out of the way and wait until the gap between your taste and what you like and your ability sort of that gap closes a bit. Because in the beginning you're like, I have great taste and I love good comedy. Why am I not good? And it's just right. because no one is when they start. And then my advice for writing scripts is Well, someone the other day was like, Oh, you keep saying about writing personal stuff, but what if nothing's happened to me? I was like, so much has happened to you, uh, to everyone, because yeah. we all have our childhoods. You don't have to have some big trauma to write. You can, it could be some tiny disappointment. I think when people talk about like finding your voice, I think that's overwhelming sometimes because it's like, mm. it's more like finding, just being authentic. And, mm. you know, you, you could talk about making a sandwich as long as it's real. I think people respond to it. I was thinking yeah. about that movie Eighth Grade that Bo Burnham did. Oh, oh broke my heart. But I was thinking, me. yeah, he's not an eighth grade girl, but obviously it was so authentic and there was so much of him in it and mm -hmm. it just felt so authored and uh, yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Just watched it for the first time. Really? Cried. Uh, I actually got to see that one in a theater and I was ugly crying. Yeah. It's so accurate about puberty and just the yeah. hell of, the hell of puberty. Well, and you're working on a, on a new drama that centers on young adult life, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. It's the first thing, I, first scripted thing I've written on my own. It's a sort of young adult thriller based on a true story. A friend of mine got sent to rehab in Oregon when she was a teenager, and it sort of turned out to be a cult. Okay. And, but <laughs> yeah, but these are, are real places. It's, re I, I, you know, wow. I just watched the Paris Hilton documentary and basically I'm really interested in the troubled teen industry mm -hmm. and um, people That's who get... That's exactly it because it's an industry. It's an industry and you can yeah. just have your kid kind of kidnapped and sent away and it's really unregulated and there's all kinds of 
crazy stuff that goes on. So it's taking all the themes that I love about addiction and identity and Mm. adolescence and things like that. And Mm. who knows if it'll happen, though. It's still up in the air. So we'll see. But that's what I'm writing. Yeah. Well, and you even thinking about looking at all those themes, like Netflix has their new stand-up series, Comedians of the World, and Dope is part of it. You're... I'm in the UK section, yeah. Yeah, your most recent <laughs> stand-up show. Is it is it a crazy thing to be part of a global comedians of the world? Like yeah. chosen group of people? Is is that surreal for you or, or does it not really register? No, that was so cool. Yeah, I hope they keep doing those and doing those because it was it was so amazing. Mm. They filmed them at um at Just for Laughs mostly in Canada. And so there were just comedians from all over the world there and and yeah, I had such a good time, especially coming home to Canada to do it. Having been in in the UK for eleven years, it yeah. yeah, it was good to feel like a transatlantic person, you know. That's really cool. Yeah. And you know, because it's fun to brag on our guests, it was also nominated for best comedy show at the Edinburgh Comedy Awards, which is like <laughs> a huge deal. Thanks. <laughs> it's so cool. I wonder if all these festivals are going to return. I hope so. I hope so. It's such a great place for people to kind of develop their stuff and and discover new people. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. It's been cool to see what Dave Chappelle's been doing in Ohio. Yeah. Kind of in the the gap left uh, for those spaces for comedians with COVID. Him sort of creating this safe haven for people to go and work has has been really neat. Really neat. Yeah, I wonder if I remember... There was a documentary years ago of Tig Notaro, who's an amazing stand-up, mm. going around to people's houses and they would book her and it would just be them and their friends and she'd do a stand-up show. And I kind of love that. Maybe oh that's what'll start happening. Yeah. That would be so cool. Yeah. I would love it. Would you would well, you book it for your garden? Yeah. You, yeah. And just have your friends over. It'd be so fun. Oh my fun. god, hundred percent. We used to do um little music shows at my house. We'd we'd have like thirty or forty people come and a little band oh, come that's and so nice. And it was really cool too, because sometimes it would be bands that were like, you know, getting ready to launch their sophomore album and wanted to just try out some things. And yeah, those were always kind of my favorite nights to host here. So um, I'm thrilled that on this podcast we can announce that the first ever Treehouse Show comedy special will be you when you come to California next. Yeah, <laughs> I'm there. I've I've just booked you for it. So great, oh, great. Yeah, um, I'll get my agent to contact you, and we'll wonderful <laughs> do it officially. Your people can yeah, call yeah. our <laughs> people, which is really just me, and it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be just us. Um, other than people who will someday eventually be in what I now hope is a real event that we shall throw in my backyard, how, how can all the folks listening at home find you? Where do you, where do you like to point people to go? Well, I'm thinking about deleting Twitter, you know? So I don't know. Twitter's uh, so weird. Twitter's weird. It's But Instagram's I, pretty cool stuff. I love Instagram. I'm at, at yeah. the, I think I'm at Hooray May on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Twitter, I'm not sure, but I'm on there right now at the May Martin, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah it's stressful isn't it just... yeah it's a it's a weird site yeah and especially if you watch that documentary everyone was talking about what was it called again the social dilemma yeah about just Oof. the pol- polarizing political forces and yeah well and and the unfortunate thing that because these big platforms haven't been regulated they are allowed to capitalize on causing division. They're like, oh, if we yeah. can make people angry, they spend more time on the website. So like, let's just make people even angrier. 
It's the let's, worst. Let's surface misinformation because it'll set people on fire. And then, you know, we, we can trust them to go and find the real stuff. It's like, no, maybe you just shouldn't allow lies on, on your sites because, like, you couldn't publish that in the New York Times or, you know, yeah. the Dallas Chronicle. Like, you don't, it doesn't work that way. So I, I know. I know. That's a whole other podcast, really. Yeah, we can. Yeah, that's. <laughs> We're like that's that's gonna that's gonna take a turn. Um, I will I will ask you a, a happy question, which is oh, honestly great. my favorite thing to ask everybody who comes on the show, which is obviously you know titled "Work in Progress." What feels like a work in progress in your life right now? I guess work life balance. Hmm. Wait, is that a happy answer? No. <laughs> It doesn't have to be a happy oh, answer. It could be anything. Okay. But well, I just I'm, mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a more, it's a happier space to examine <laughs> than the, than the pitfalls of uh, cruel technology. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, yeah, I guess finding a balance, I, I, I've been working nonstop for, for five years on, on feel mm-hmm. goods and it's just ended and we finished the edit. And so I'm now in this, I have this time. So I, and mm. I'm trying to enjoy that and sit in the park and then I'm trying to cook. I'm trying to, you know, mm. learn some stuff. I did a shepherd's pie, lentil shepherd's pie. Very nice. Thanks. Yeah. It was almost inedible, but it was, <laughs> it was something. You can really only go up from here. Yeah, exactly. What about you? Or do you, do you not say? Oh no, my God. So many things. I will say I love to cook and want to be better at it. Me too. Um, the th- there's some things I do well. And then, then I have these other friends who can just come in a kitchen and look in the fridge and come up with a whole meal. And I want to be a little more skilled on that level. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really got into over quarantine, you know, the New York times has, you know, the New York times cooking, they okay. have an app and the app is amazing. It's just all recipes and they'll give you the grocery list for everything which is really kind of fun. The balance stuff is hard for me too. I recently, (laughs) I was just saying, you know, I feel really overwhelmed a lot. I'm scheduled like down to within the five minute window every day with like a a thing and a zoom and a call and a podcast and a a script thing. And then, you know, I'm, I'm on like an organizer zoom for a political action network. And then I'm on a this and then I'm on a that. And I, I need to take care of the chickens and the dog and like do all the things at the house. And you know, when am I supposed to see my friends? And I haven't called my mom back in a week and things are crazy. And, um, my yeah. therapist was like, well, why do you schedule yourself like that? And I'm like, well, I, cause I, you know, I want to do everything and, and I feel so grateful that these are the things I'm allowed to do. And, um, I, I want that, but also I wish I had any time for spontaneity, spontaneity and like sitting outside and reading a book. And she was like, so schedule it. And I was like, but I don't yeah. have time. And she was like, okay, so what we need to do now is in the same way that let's, if you were an alcoholic and you had to on, on a day say, you know, admit to yourself, oh, okay, I'm an addict. She was like, you have to admit to yourself that you are a liar about time. That is your addiction. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, oh, it's just such a knife to the system. And this is what I pay you for this is to that- make me feel bad. <laughs> But actually, it really helped me because she was like, no, you you lie about time. You think that you can fit all of these things into your day and you think that will leave you with any time to be surprised or spontaneous or take a phone call that unexpectedly comes in. And that's a lie. You can't do it all. So are you going to start scheduling spontaneity almost like going, this is a couple of hours in my week where you know, anything, whatever comes along, I'll just do, 
Yeah, that's yeah. actually what we're working on. So I'm I'm working on actually reclaiming um, some time every morning. Yeah, to just be a little slower. And, and actually scheduling in some like free reading time, like a oh kid God, who goes yeah. to the library in their free period, which is my favorite thing to do in school. Yeah. Um, and then I'm actually working on, I'm, I'm working on a system for time, which makes me feel so crazy and weird. I'm like, aren't I an adult? <laughs> aren't I, what is happening that I never did this before? Even and though I'm, we just found out that time is a construct of <laughs> thank you this is all carla ravelli's fault is really yeah. the point yeah. but i yeah i'm working on blocking some unstructured time yeah i think that's really smart there's just space for stuff yeah i think you have so, yeah. to do that i can relate I, to all of that except for the chickens um, we have chickens you have chickens yeah that's They're really sweet i just learned that chickens their language amongst themselves is a lot more sophisticated than we thought and they've just done a study and they think chickens name their humans they give them specific what? names that they then use amongst themselves they'll be like they'll have a name for you wait where did you read this i say read it was a podcast and it was okay, about fine. it was jonathan van ness's podcast i think and it was really? about um animal intelligence and animal oh, language I'm listen to this there's mind-blowing stuff Prairie They're dogs so as cool. well. Did you um did you watch the David Attenborough documentary that just came out? No, is this very so, recent? Mm-hmm. It and and basically what they learned this year because the world went quiet because of the pandemic. Yeah, is we've learned so much more about animals this year than in like the last fifty or sixty years combined. I love. We that. found out that whales whales got much noisier. And they were like, oh, whales haven't been able to hear each other over the motors of boats and cruise ships. Oh, no, um, I hate it, that. It, it, so now they're having these like really deep, long conversations with each other. Whereas before, imagine being at a really loud bar. Yeah. You can't do what we're doing. So you you chat and you hang out, but it's not like yeah. deep and emotional. Oh, my and so God, they're I communicating love that. Differently. All of these animals are communicating differently and living differently. And, and essentially what they were saying is that they can hear each other. Oh, I love oh, that. Like, God, that's me. such a good positive to remember. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so they were, I guess, um, someone sort of posited after this that we should create schedules for, um, you know, motored vehicles in the water we, yeah. we have to begin creating blocks of time where it's silent for the animals and i just oh god i would love that so much i would love that there has to be a way to do that we have to do better i mean they deserve it they deserve we're such it. assholes we're like <laughs> all of this is for us no they're angels they yeah. really are i feel that yeah well you're an angel thank you for coming so are you thank you so much for having me um it was so nice to see you yeah you too hopefully we'll hang out in person i would like that and yeah i'm always here for chicken content and strange you know aquatic dinosaurs anytime yes i will send you the um any (laughs) any trivia that that comes my way i would love it (laughs) 